It was reality then, centuries ago. And it's reality today. Children follow their fathers. They follow the example that dad sets in the home. To help us understand that, in this passage in 2 Kings 17, the king of Assyria has conquered the nation of Israel. And he has taken people from the nation of Israel to another land, and he's brought some people from other lands into Israel. There's a mixture now of Israelites and people of various nations. The people of other nations brought their foreign gods into the land and added the Yahweh God to the gods they worshipped. As a consequence, the people of Israel began not only to worship Yahweh God, but they began to worship the other gods as well. They simply added their God to the list of other gods. Now if you would look at verse 35 of the text, God warned the Israelites against that. When the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites, he commanded them, Do not worship any other gods or bow down to them, serve them, or sacrifice to them. But the Lord who brought you out of Egypt with mighty power and outstretched arm is the one you must worship. To him you shall bow down and to him offer sacrifices. You must always be careful to keep the decrees and ordinances, the laws and the commands he wrote for you. Do not worship other gods. Do not forget the covenant I have made with you. And do not worship other gods. Rather, worship the Lord your God. It is he who will deliver you out of the hands of your enemies. But they didn't listen. They paid no attention to what God said. And they went on living the way they wanted to live, and they worshipped other gods. And the Bible says their children followed their example. It is a rule of life that our children become what we are. It's a rather scary thing, isn't it? I am a lot like my dad. Had a wonderful father. He spent time with me as a child. I burned his hand, throwing baseballs to him, I'm sure. Tired after work, he would come and we'd go out in the backyard and we'd throw baseball. He'd call the strikes and balls. He was usually wrong. <laughs> we'd go down to the high school and play basketball at the courts outside. I really would rather play basketball with my dad than I would have with the guys. My dad was a four-letter athlete at his high school. He was a basketball star. Uh, he not only spent time with me, he spent time with our grandchildren in the same way. We have many pictures of my father laying on the floor with kids around him playing games and the dog on his back. I wanted to be like him. Children want to imitate their fathers. A father heard some laughter coming from the hallway of his home. He goes out to see what's going on, and coming down the steps is his little boy, dressed in his full suit of clothes. He has the pants pulled up under his 
armpits and the pant legs are rolled up and the coat is dragging the ground. The hat is sloppy on his head and the size 10 shoes are flopping as they come down the staircase. Everybody laughs. Dad says, I want to go get the camera. Uh, There's a truth here. My boy wants to be like me. And he took that snapshot and placed it on his desk at work so that every time he looked at it, it would remind him, look, Daddy, I want to be like you. A child was asked if he was a Christian on a survey, and he wrote these words. No, I am not a Christian because my father is not a Christian, and I'm what he is. Debbie knew I was preaching on this theme, and she copied this article. No Faith of Our Fathers, it's entitled, and then the caption reads, Only 28% of United States men attend church, and their children usually follow Dad's example, not Mom's. Church attendance among them has fallen to 43% in 1992, according to George Barna. But then he says, in 1996, church attendance by fathers and men in this country has fallen to 28%. A little further over it says, Surveys found that if a father made a decision to become a Christian, the rest of the family followed his example 93% of the time. If a mother made a similar decision, the rest of the family embraced it 17% of the time. 93 verses 17. It seems that when a man takes this kind of spiritual stand, it usually affects everyone else in the whole constellation around him, including his family, and even other men that he knows. Pretty powerful, isn't it? Pretty powerful. The poet penned these words. What are you going to be, my boy, when you reach manhood years? A doctor, lawyer, an actor great, men moving to throngs and tears. But he shook his head as he gave reply in the serious way that he had. I don't think I care to be any of them. I just want to be like my dad. Let me ask you a question. Children and young people are going to inherit something from us as fathers. What will they inherit? And most of us are concerned that we leave them something materially. My kids know I'm going to spend it all. (laughs) I have a sane mind. And I'm going to spend it while it's sane. No, seriously. But don't we all want to leave them something? What would you leave them? Will you leave them money? Will you leave them fame? Will you leave them prestige? Will you leave them abuse? Will you leave them harsh criticism? Will you leave them love or care or direction and purpose in life? Will you leave them godliness as a heritage? What will we leave them? 
Children need a godly influence in their home. That statement alone causes great stress, I think, upon parents and on fathers. One of my favorite preachers that I read was Bob Russell, who was pastor of the Christian church outside of Louisville, Kentucky. He, he got a Father's Day card, or else read a Father's Day card one day that said this, Dad, everything I've ever learned, I learned from you except one thing. The family car really does 110 miles an hour. But then he continues, it's a stressful day for fathers, and it really is. It seems as though your jobs make you work 5,000 hours a week, more or less, and you just don't have the time that you'd like to spend with your wife and with your children. The redefining of the gender roles in America has sometimes left fathers not knowing what really is expected of them. The breakdown of morality in our, in our nation is another stressful point for fathers. How do you teach your children to be moral in a society that is highly immoral and Christians are buying into that immorality? I couldn't believe my ears. I do listen to O'Reilly once in a while. Don't hold that against me if you're liberal. <laughs> Love me if you're conservative. <laughs> O'Reilly has been on a case in Boulder, Colorado. You familiar with it? Required assembly for high school students. Required. In which that assembly taught that having sex outside of marriage is okay. Having multiple partners is okay. Having same-sex partners is okay. Drugs will enhance the sexual activity, and condoms, even though they're good, takes away the sensitivity. I'm sorry for being blunt, but that's what's happening. And Boulder, Colorado is not upset. The school board is not saying anything about it. And it's in that kind of society that we try to bring morality into our kids. Stressful. The media sometimes plays fathers as inept and, and, and irrelevant. You know something? Many fathers are. Many fathers are. We've not taken that role very seriously at times. The truth remains that fathers need to exert a godly influence in their home. We need to be spiritual leaders in our home. Genesis 26, 24. God is speaking to Isaac. And he says, I am the God of Abraham, your father. And the first time it's said in Scripture, but it's said many other times throughout the Bible, the God of Abraham. And here for the first time you hear those words, but the meaning of God for any generation is tied up in what the preceding generation has believed and lived out. 
Christianity can die in any generation. Let me tell you, the 20-somethings are not coming to church. It's because they have seen such hypocrisy among us across the nation. They have not seen it lived out in their homes. They have not seen it lived out in the ministries, ministers. And they don't want to have anything to do with that hypocrisy. God help us. It behooves us to be godly people. You see, Isaac's consciousness of God did not come from his own unhelped experience. It came from Abraham, who knew God, who lived out godly principles, who had faith in God. And Isaac had a head start in his faith because he learned those facts from his father. Now, you and I both know that it is very possible that people can come to Christ without having any religious background. And yet I'm here to tell you that the knowledge of God and the love of God is enhanced and it's helped when it comes through a person that that child admires and loves, his father. A little girl came to her mother and said, Mommy, what is God like? She hesitated and she said, I think you better go ask your father that question. Went to the father and said, Daddy, what is God like? He too hesitated. Later they found a note among her collections. It said, I went to my mother and asked her what God was like and she did not know. I went to my father who knows more than anything else in all the world what God was like and he did not know. I should think if I lived as long as my mother and father, I would know something about God. Though we don't have all the answers and you don't have all the theological answers that kids may ask, you have the fatherly responsibility of teaching our children about God. It's us. Simply cannot leave that into the hands of our mothers. It isn't their responsibility alone. Now what can we do? How can we live? so that we ensure the fact that our children inherit faith from us. First thing is to help them model or help them to see a model that is growing, a man that is growing in faith and maturing in Jesus Christ. There are no shortcuts to being a man of God. It takes time, it takes effort. But the best thing that you can do for your children is to have them see you a person who is not perfect, but a person who is growing and maturing every day of your life like Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul gave the qualities in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. You saw them on the screen this morning as you looked at those qualities in a senior pastor we usually think of these qualities for people who are leaders in the church I'm here to tell you they're for all people they're for all men I'm gonna take the word bishop out of it and I'm just gonna read it to you a Christian then or a Christian man must be blameless the husband of one wife 
temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how can he take care of the church of God? Not a novice or novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snares of the devil. You say that sounds like a list of perfection, and I'm not perfect. Well, congratulations, neither am I. And no one expects us to be perfect. But I'm here to tell you, here's the deal. Model for your children a Christian that is growing in his faith on a daily basis. That's what they're looking for. Secondly, to help our children inherit something of our faith, we need to model for them a genuine love for our wife. You can say amen to that. One of the best things that you can do for your children is to love your wife. My kids know that I used to love the blue-eyed blonde, now the gray fox. (laughs) They know that. They have no doubt about that. They have actually seen me hug her and kiss her. (laughs) The Bible states in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, the New Living Translation says, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's Word. That is a sacrificial love. That's putting her needs ahead of your needs. And that's a fresh idea, isn't it? It's sacrificing yourself for her if that needs be the case. Men, you're not going to like me for this. But it may mean that you will at times go to the mall with her. (laughs) I'm going out the side door this morning. It will mean that you will help her with house things. If your wife works... You work at home just like she works then, if she works outside of the home. Since I have retired, I have had more jobs that I have not applied for. (laughs) This thing called a vacuum sweeper. (laughs) And dishes and all kinds of stuff. But you know something? It's wonderful to do it together. I don't know how she did it all those years by herself. It's wonderful. It goes so much faster. You know, you can make a bed so much faster if two people are doing it. Wow. Go to, get on, go on. I'm I'm getting in trouble. (laughs) You know what it does? 
It demonstrates unselfishness to your children. And it helps them to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they will know how to love when they get married. They'll see it demonstrated. True love is described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 4 through 8. Listen to these wonderful qualities of love. Don't just listen, put them in your life. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Or we could use that one in the home, couldn't we? It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Will our children inherit godly love from us because they see it demonstrated in our homes toward our wives? You love your wife like that, she'll never want to leave you. Thirdly, to help our children inherit faith from us, we need to model for them priorities, godly priorities. A recent survey, UNICEF, illustrates this fact. They surveyed 21 of the most developed countries around the world, and they were measuring how kids relate to other kids, how they spend time with their parents, uh, how they use alcohol or drugs, their perceived happiness and their own happiness as, as children. And much to their surprise, they discovered that tight-knit nations like Sweden and the Netherlands and Denmark and Finland, those nations ranked the highest when it came to children feeling, about, feeling good about themselves, feeling warm and accepted and happy. The United States came in next to last. The United Kingdom was at the bottom UNICEF's operating thesis was stable, supporting families and social relationships are far more important to kids than the junk they have collected in their rooms. William Falk of The Week magazine said this about it. I've seen firsthand the emptiness that haunts so many middle-class kids. From an early age, they are taught that life is the pitiful pursuit of individual gratification and success, requiring above-average brains and above-average looks. There is no sense of context or community or purpose. It's hardly surprising, he says, that so many are taking antidepressants, ADHD meds, and other drugs. Many more hide their sadness in eating disorders and drugs and meaningless hookups. In our rush to give our children everything, he says, I'm afraid we have forgotten to help them answer the question that won't be ignored. What is this all about? 
Well, obviously, we in this country have misplaced our priorities, haven't we? What are your priorities? What, what should they be? I'm so glad you asked that. Because I've just been itching to tell you. And, and there's no new revelation about any of this, but listen to them carefully, fathers. Your first priority needs to be your relationship with God. First and foremost. You've heard that before? But you need to keep it alive. You need to keep it meaningful. You need to keep it up to date. Let your children see that you are growing in grace every day. Your wife and your children need to know that Jesus Christ is the most important thing in your life. I live 50 minutes from my church in Tennessee. If I had teenagers or children, I would not live 50 minutes from any church. I would live as close to the church that I could live by it. So they would be saturated in that. God's priority is first. Second priority you must have in your life is your wife, your spouse. The best thing we said you can do for your family is to love your wife. You are to love her as Christ loved the church. And that demonstrates unselfish living. The third priority is your children. In many families, the children dominate and rule the roost. We didn't let that happen at our house. My kids knew that mama came before them. I loved them. I went to their games. I did all the things I thought fathers were supposed to do. But I can tell you this. Mama was before them. If you do not have the priorities of God and your wife first, I'll guarantee you this, your children will be spoiled. And they will rule your home. And they'll be unhappy and you'll be unhappy and you're headed for disaster. God, wife, children. And the fourth priority for men is work. Unfortunately, for most men, their self-image is tied up in what they do in life, not who they are. I have been able to retire, fortunately, because my dad instilled in me, my parents, that I was of value. I'm not of value because I'm a pastor. I'm not of value because I was president of the missionary board. I'm of value because God made me. And I'm who I am because of Him. And so I don't have to pastor a church to go. I can go back to Tennessee, sit on my porch, do things down there, and, and feel good about myself. But I know some people, men who have said to me, I can't retire. I think I get bored. And I think it's because... Their self-image is tied up in what they do. God wants our self-image to be tied up in who we are, in Him. Fathers say, well, what do you want out of me? I buy their clothes. I send them to college. I give them allowances. What more do you want? Isn't that enough? No, it's not enough. It is not enough. 
Children want to know that you are concerned about their goals, their dreams, aspirations, their ambitions in life, their projects, their friends. They're concerned about you knowing what happens in their everyday life. Oh, they'll fuss and complain. They'll think you're being too stringent. But they really want that. Our kids and grandkids need to be told they're loved. They need to be shown that they're cared for. It's a tough job being a father. But the question still bounds up. What faith will your child inherit from you as a father? Lord, these are tough days to be a parent. And we certainly need your help. We can't do this without you. So Lord, today I pray that you'll be with that father that is struggling in relationship with his children, relationship with his wife. I pray today will be the day that he will come to the conclusion, Lord, I must set my priorities right. And I must help my children know, my wife know, that God and them are important to me. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <music>